You are listening to a sermon from Mayo Baptist Church. We are excited about what God is doing through each one of us. We are challenged by God to impact this wonderful city of Mayo with the gospel. And we would love for you to join us along this great journey as we share Jesus with the nations. privilege it is to be with you here today in Mayo. I've been excited about coming and sharing with you and I'm grateful for Pastor for the invitation. I just want to say thank you for your kingdom heart, uh, for how you see a world that is aligned with the scripture and the, and the call of the church, how you faithfully share the gospel not only within this city but within our state, within our nation and to the nations and your faithfulness in giving uh, is such a powerful testimony to your heart to see men, women, boys, and girls come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a church that is deeply committed to the cooperative program, and as you give through the cooperative program, you can know that there is never a moment, hear this, there's never a moment that the sun sets on the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because of your faithful giving. You are a part of placing missionaries and servants of the Lord all over the world, so may God bless you, may God multiply that through your faithfulness and through what he will do through the life of your local church as well. 
So, Pastor, thank you for the privilege of being here today, and we thank the Lord for how we have worshipped, and, and uh, you know, it's, God is always in control, and God always is moving, and, and uh, just as, as you were singing the songs, I am just kept saying, you know, man, Lord, you have just aligned everything today according to your word, and we are thankful for that. And so, I would ask you today to open the scriptures to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 32, I'll be reading one verse, verse 27, and if you're able, I would ask you to stand in honor of God's precious word, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. This is the word of the Lord as he speaks to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? We read this passage together, uh, if you don't mind going back to that. Uh, so we can all read it in unison. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Heavenly Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would take hold of your word. You have inspired your word and you have sent your word to accomplish what you desire through obedient hearts who will respond to your call of faith upon our lives. To some who are here today, it's a call into salvation. And we pray, Lord, that if there's any who are here who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that on this day, Lord, they will humble their heart, they repent of their sins, and turn from sin and self unto you. And that through Christ Jesus the Lord and his shed blood, they can be forgiven and experience life everlasting. We pray for believers who are here today, Lord, that we would hear a strong challenge from your word, that we would have an increasing of our faith and of our trust and of our obedience unto you. Father, we thank you that you're able in all things. And so, Lord, today we call upon you. We pray that we will hear what the Spirit is saying into your church and into our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. This passage of Scripture is at a moment in time in the covenant people of God. They're called to look at their past and their present and their future. Much like we are within our lives, we can look back and we can see God's hand. We can see God's blessings. We can see the salvation of the Lord if you're a believer that has been experienced in your life. We look to the future, and in the future we know that our name is written in the book of life. We know that He has prepared a place for us in heaven. We know that one day we will be with the Lord, no longer walking by faith, but walking by sight. And we're excited about the wonderful promises and the beauty and the splendor of that eternal home that we have in Christ. And so we hold on to the past and we look forward to the future. But yet we recognize that God has a present. He has something for our lives today something that we are to be about in serving Him, living for Him, and allowing His glory to be seen within our life as we obediently follow Him with everything that we are because of His love for us. And oftentimes we trust in the past and we have great confidence in the future, but we struggle in the present. We struggle just living our lives day by day in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We struggle in believing that God is able. We struggle in believing in the sufficiency of the Lord in every area of our life. And so we say, Lord, I believe, but, Lord, I believe, but I'm not sure. Lord, I believe, but yet we try to resolve. We try to figure it out. We try to manage and manipulate the things spiritually within our life rather than just fully trusting in the word of the Lord and in God's hand and God's place within our lives. That's exactly where we find this moment of Scripture. 
For in this moment of Scripture, the prophet Jeremiah has been preaching faithfully God's Word. And God had spoken to him and through him to his people. And he had prophesied that judgment was coming. Judgment was coming because of their disobedience and because of their unfaithfulness unto God, because they were not trusting God in the present as they should. And indeed, a prophet's voice is proven to be true when the prophecy comes about. And indeed, that prophecy was happening. It was happening at the hands of the Babylonians. The Babylonians were on a worldwide conquest at that time. And the people of God were certainly at the very tip of the spear that they were seeking to conquer and they were seeking to defeat and so Jerusalem is under siege Jerusalem is under attack just like Jeremiah said that it was going to happen the Babylonians came King Nebuchadnezzar he was leading the charge and so now we find that because Jeremiah was preaching God's word and and he had said this was going to happen the king at that time of Judah King Zedekiah he was not pleased with this and he put Jeremiah in prison and so here Jeremiah is in prison He's in prison because he's preaching God's word. But the reality of it is you can put the man of God in prison. You can seek to silence the man of God, but yet God's word will always prove to be true and God's word cannot be silenced. And so in the midst of this moment, Jeremiah is hearing another word from God. Another word from God. While he's in prison, this word comes to him. This word is the very word that we have read today. God is reminding him that, yes, I am the God of the past, but I'm also the God of the future. And I have not forgotten my people. I have not forsaken them. I have not forfeited them. I have not turned my back upon them. And so, Jeremiah, while you're in this prison and Babylon is coming and sieging the land, I want you to do something. And this is what I want you to do. You read about this in chapter 32, there in verse 7. He says, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for it is the right of redemption, it is yours to buy it. He is told to buy a piece of property. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Here they are being attacked. As a matter of fact, there's 70 years in which, which, which the people of God find themselves in exile. They find themselves under attack by the people of Babylon. Babylon is the modern-day Iraq. And so here in the midst of all of this, God says to Jeremiah, I want you to do something that doesn't make sense. I want you to do something that really doesn't seem rational. I want you to do something that most people will scratch their head and say, what in the world are you doing? But Jeremiah, through what I'm asking you to do, I will once again prove my faithfulness unto my people. I want you to buy land. It's yours. It's your right of redemption. I want you to purchase this property. And so in the midst of all that is going on, Jeremiah hears this word from God and he purchases the land. Well, things go absolutely awry there within Jerusalem. There's 70 years in which the Babylonians are seizing them. In 587 B.C., the temple in Jerusalem, the focal point of everything that they hold on to sacred, the visual that, that is the very presence of God is destroyed by the Babylonians, the very temple that Solomon would build. Those who are in Jerusalem being carried away into Babylonian captivity, there's a remnant that remains behind in Jerusalem. The people are divided. They are, they are separating. They're questioning, does God care? Does God know what we are going through? But yet, as kingdoms rise, kingdoms also fall. 
And we find that another country rose to power, the Persians. And the Persians defeated the Babylonians. The Persians were found in the modern-day Iran. So you can see how Iran, Iraq, Israel, how throughout all the years there's been turmoil, there's been conflict that's been found in this part of the world. And here we are reading about it within the very Word of God itself. And when the, when the, when the Persians rose to power at that time, the king by the name of Cyrus, he looked at those who were, who were the, the exiles in Babylon, and he said, I want you just to go home. I, I don't want you here. You can return back to Jerusalem. And so in 539 B.C., those who were exiles were allowed to return home to Jerusalem. And at that moment, everything now made sense because the land that had been purchased, the promise that God had given in the purchase of the land of Jeremiah was that I once again will restore my glory among my people. And so this morning... I want us to walk through this verse of Scripture because it is one that very much challenges all of us in the present. You see, God may be asking you today to buy the land. He may be asking you to do something that, that, that's out of the ordinary. He may be calling upon you to do something that is extraordinary. He may be asking you to make a decision or to be engaged in a ministry or to give of your life in such a way that really doesn't seem to make sense to you, but yet we know that God knows what we do not know, and God sees what we do not see, and God has already been where we are going, and if God is leading us, then we must put our yes on the table. We must put are all in before God and be obedient and be faithful to that which God is asking us to do within our life. And when he's saying into you, hark today, buy the land, it may not make a lot of sense, but yet God may be using you to prepare what will take place here. You may not even see what will take place here. Jeremiah was not there when they returned, but yet the testimony of God was there. And the faithfulness of God was evident to all who came back, and they gave praise unto the Lord in that. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, I encourage you today to allow the questions that we will pose from this very verse 27 to just stir your heart and to allow the Lord to speak into your life. The first question that we see from this text is, what do you believe God can do? What do you believe God can do? Oh, I believe God can do everything. We, we say that. Matter of fact, we, we, we quickly say that. But while we say that, do we really live that? We have a lot that we understand in our head, but it's quite different when we commit our heart to it. We have a lot that we say, oh, yes, Lord, I know that in you all things are possible. Lord, with us it is impossible. But so often we limit what God is able to do because of our own disobedience and because of our own unfaithfulness and because of our own unwillingness to trust in what God can do. And so this statement of the Scripture is, I am the Lord. And what a statement. I mean, if there's ever a drop-the-mic moment and just walk away, that's it. I mean, what else does he need to say? I am the Lord. Shouldn't that be enough for us? Shouldn't that be enough for me? Shouldn't that be enough for you? I am the Lord. So what do you believe God can do? See, that phrase, I am, is used quite often in the Scripture. Even Christ himself would take that and describe his own ministry. I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, the life. But yet we find it first used in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. 
You remember there where Moses was out in the, in the wilderness, he was tending the flock, and, and he came upon a bush that was burning, yet the bush was not being consumed. And there he found himself in the very presence of God. And God spoke to him out of that bush. Moses, overwhelmed by being in God's presence, would fall upon his face with his very face into the dirt of the ground itself. And, and God spoke to him out of that bush. And this is what God said to him. I've seen my people. They're in bondage. They are there in Egypt. They're under harsh taskmasters. And what I want you to do, Moses, I want you to go, and I want you to stand before the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh. And I want you to take your finger, and I want you to put it straight in his face and say, let my people go. Well, Lord, I'm just kind of out here tending flock. <laughs> I mean, what are you asking me to do? You know, and, and, and what, what did Moses immediately do? Did he just get up and say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. No, he did the same thing we do. He just started making excuses. We default to that every time. What do you believe God can do? We believe God can do all things, but God, I'm not sure you can do them for me. Lord, I know you can do all things, but I'm not sure that, 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 that you're able in my circumstance, in my situation. And when God calls upon us to buy the land, when God calls upon us to trust Him, we immediately start making excuses as to why we cannot and will not trust Him. Now think about the excuses that Moses made. There were five of them, just quickly. I mean, he didn't have to even hardly hesitate. He didn't even pause. He just started rattling off reasons why he could not do what God had asked him to do. He said to God immediately, as God spoke to him, Who am I? I mean, who am I, Lord? Somebody else. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> who are you? He just started making excuses. Lord, they're, they're, they're not going to believe me. I can't speak. And then finally, he just says, send someone else. I mean, we've all made those kind of excuses. Lord, I know what you want me to do. And I know when you want me to do it. I even know, Lord, how you. But Lord, and we just start saying the reasons why we cannot do what God is asking us to do. When God spoke to Jeremiah in a prison cell, when the city is being defeated, family, friends are being taken away, the temple is being destroyed, oppression has come upon them, God said, now I've got something I need for you to do. And it would have been easy at that moment for Jeremiah just to start making excuses. But he heard strongly, I am the Lord. I found it interesting in years of being a pastor that we probably do our best when we've got some kind of oppression. We probably do our best when we've got some kind of struggle and tension. When things are going well, we start feeling pretty comfortable about ourselves, <laughs> pretty comfortable about what we can do. We can plan it, we can organize it, we can fund it, we can this, we can that. But, but let a little bit of tension, let a little bit of struggle come. And then it's in those moments that our faith is truly tested. What do you, what do I, what do we believe God can do? I was pastor at First Baptist Church in Brandon, which is right beside Tampa, almost 20 years. And on Sunday morning, we had three worship services on Sunday morning. And 
uh, I, I just kind of never quit preaching when I started, <laughs> Brother Rick. We, we just go from room, we had two different rooms, and we just go from one to the other preaching. And so, so it was in between some of the services, and a deacon came to me, and he said, Pastor, you've got to come with me. Well, I mean, I could tell he was very frantic in, in the way he was speaking. And, and typically, you know, if, they, if a deacon came, you know, and had that, that kind of urgency about him, there had been some kind of emergency, uh, maybe a medical emergency. And he just wanted me to come and see the family and see the people. And, and, and so uh, that's what I thought may be happening. Or there was a toilet that was overflowing in a building somewhere, and they think that pastors can lay their hands on toilets and fix them. I, you know, I knew something was, well, something was wrong. And so I, I immediately went with him, and he took me outside of our building, and, and, and our campus covered about 28, 30 so acres, and we had roads that cut in between parking lots and so forth. And, and when I stepped outside, I, I, was just, I was just stunned. I mean, I had never seen anything like this, never in, in, in my ministry. For on the sidewalks surrounding our sanctuary were people who were standing there, and they were holding signs, and they were protesting the church. And there were, there were some of the most ungodly messages on those signboards you've ever seen in your life. Uh, the, the, the people who were out there were there in response to a stand that our church was taking in, in our community. Because there was an individual by the name of, of Joe Redner. He's kind of the kingpin of adult entertainment across central Florida. He's just a multi-gazillionaire. And, and he was going to open in our town uh, an adult entertainment business. He had bought a building on the corner of, of, highway, of highway 60, which is a major thoroughfare through Brandon. And on this corner was the building he bought. Opposite it was a Home Depot and a, and a, uh, a Chick-fil-A. And then on the other side was a Lowe's. So if you think about worlds kind of colliding right there, certainly that was going to be it. And so we were taking a stand against it. We didn't want this in our community, and we, we were doing everything we could do in terms of, of legal action, government action. I mean, it was just a battle, and it was a very vocal and a very visible battle that was going on. It was spiritual warfare. And, and our church, for some reason, just became the church that they were targeting out of many that could have targeted within our community. And so out on the sidewalk were, were ladies who were barely dressed. There were men dressed like women, women dressed like men. There was Mr. Redner. There was all these other people, and they were just out there. I mean, can, can you imagine if you pulled up this morning to church here at Mayo, and straight across the road out there, there would just been people standing there holding signs, shouting at you and screaming at you and cursing at you when you were pulling in this morning. Uh, that would make you think a little bit, I promise you. And so what do you do? I mean, what do you do in those situations? And, and, and we realized that our battle was not against those people. Jesus Christ loved every person on that sidewalk as much as he loved me. Jesus Christ died for the sins of every person on that sidewalk just like he had died for our sins. And so our battle was not against them. We, we, we took the position that we needed to just love on them and, and, and show Jesus to them. And so, you know, Baptists, we love to eat. I mean, you know, we're going to have something. Every one of y'all ate in Sunday school this morning. I assure you, there was something there. And so we just had people taking food out to them every, every Sunday. They, they came for about two solid months. I mean, it was, just, it was insane. It was like a zoo, I want to tell you. And they would take water out to them and just, just started talking with them. Dear sweet ladies would park in these parking lots on the other side of, of the road, and they'd have to walk across, and they, they'd reach up and they'd hug these, these, young, these young ladies that were out there and they would say to them, oh honey, we're so glad you're here. We hope you come back next Sunday. And I'm kind of like, I'm not so sure. That we want them to come back, but I don't know if it's quite like that. And, and so, so here we are in the midst of all of this. And what I would say to you is, is that, that, that we lost the battle. 
but we did not lose the war. For the business did open right there at Highway 60, Mount Carmel, Chick-fil-A, Home Depot, Lowe's, and now we've got a strip club right here. And, and, and as families would, would, would pull up to that red light and stop, I started having them on Sunday, the, the moms and dads, they would come to me and they'd say, Pastor, you, you, let me tell you what's going on. We pull up there, our children are looking out the window and they're seeing the signage on this building. Obviously much different than the other signage that they were accustomed to seeing and they were asking us, what, what takes place in there? What is that? And parents were just very honest with their children. They said it's a place where, where women are devalued and demeaned. They, they, they talked to them about human sex trafficking, which is exactly what takes place in, in these types of facilities. And from the back seats of cars and SUVs and minivans, children began praying for the ladies that worked in these businesses. And within less than a year, God shut the business down. What do you believe God can do? I am the Lord. I will always be what I've always been. I am that I am. I will continually be what I repeatedly have been. He is faithful. He is faithful. I am the Lord. The, the second question, what is God leading you to do? For the very next phrase says, I am the God of all flesh. Let, let, let's don't think that when Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven, that, that God just took this vacation. <laughs> you know, he, he's just kind of letting everything run its course, and, and you know, we're just kind of hanging out, and if we call on him, he'll hear us. If he don't, so, so be it. No, God sent his Holy Spirit, as Christ promised, to, to be with us, God with us through Jesus Christ. The Spirit will come to be the comfort, to point us unto, unto Christ, to point us into a right relationship with God through the Son, Christ Jesus the Lord. And God, he is with us. His presence is with us day by day. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so here he reminds us, I am the God of all flesh. And he has a plan. He has a purpose for every individual's life. Every person's life. What is God leading you to do? He led Jeremiah from a cell to buy the land. Didn't make a whole lot of sense at all. But when you read the scripture, if, if you look at verse 7, he says it's the right of redemption. In, in, in verse 8, he talks about the right of inheritance. In verse 11, he talks about a purchase of a deed. In verse 11, he talks about it being sealed. Once again, while we're referring to a piece of land, all of those images point us to who? Jesus Christ the Lord, the one who purchased our salvation, the one who has redeemed us by his blood, the one who seals our salvation for all eternity. And so here in this sale, on this day, God is speaking to the present, but he's also speaking to the future. And the prophetic word is only prophetic if it proves to be true. And in every way, this word is proven to be true. So God, what are you leading me to do? God, what do you want me to do within my life? What do you want me to commit of my life unto you? It's a Sunday evening. Our services had already started. 
And a young man came walking in, and he sat in the very back balcony, and we had seating under the balcony. And he was as far in the back as you could get. I mean, he'd almost been sitting outside if he'd been any further back in the room. That, that's where he was. Service went through, and I preached and gave an invitation and had people who had responded, and, and this young man just stood there stoic. You could tell there was something that was just heavy on his heart, but he didn't move. The invitation ended and the service ended. People were kind of leaving and people were hanging around like Baptists do after church. And, and the young man kind of started walking toward the front, but he just stood back there. And I could tell that he wanted to talk to me and people were talking. And so I just said, guys, look, I, I need to go talk to this young man. So, so I made my way back to where he was and, uh, and I put out my hand. I said, I'm Tommy. And he told me his name. And uh, I said, man, we're so glad you're here tonight. He said, oh, he said, uh, I, 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 I can't even hardly explain how I'm here. He said, uh, this young man was about 25 years old. He said, my life is, is just a disaster. He said, I have ruined everything that's ever been done for me. He said, my parents, they love me. They provide a way for me to go to school. They, they, they have sacrificed for me, and he said, and I have wasted everything. As a matter of fact, I, I, I've just I've ruined my relationship with my parents altogether. He said, I've been involved in relationships with, with, with girls, and he said, and all of them have, have been wrong, and all of them have been bad. And he said, and I have hurt people, and I have done things that, that, that are just wrong. He said, I, I'm involved with drugs. I'm involved with alcohol. I mean, you know, th this, this boy was just describing a life that was in a downward spiral. He said, I can't keep a job. He said, he said, he said I, I got in my, my, my vehicle, my car today, and he said, I was just out riding around. And he said, I, I just said to myself, something has got to change. Something's got to change in my life. And he said, I'm just riding, and I'm, I'm going down Parsons Avenue, which is one of the roads that, that, that bordered uh, our, our church campus. And he said, and I looked, and I saw these people in the parking lot, and they were getting out and walking into this building. He said, I, he said, I wasn't even sure where I was. He said, I wasn't even sure what this was. He said, but something in my car, hear this, something in my car just said, stop. He said, it scared me to death. He said, I was the only one in the car. <laughs> he said, it said, stop. And he said, I want to tell you, I hit my brakes. And he said, before I knew it, I was in this parking lot, and I was walking in behind these people. And he said, and I sat in the back. And he said, I didn't even know what, what this was, really. And he said, and then you got up, and you started talking about Jesus about how Jesus loves and about Jesus cares and about there's no one who's so far away that they can't be reached with the love of God through Jesus Christ the Lord. And he said, man, he said, everything you were saying tonight, everything you were saying tonight was about me. And so we sat down. By now we just kind of had walked and talked and we were sitting on the very front row of the church and opened up the scripture and just began sharing with him God's plan for his life. I mean, he is the God of all flesh, and he loved that young man no matter how many mistakes he'd made in his life. Jesus had taken every one of them to the cross. He had already paid in full the price for his sin. He had sacrificed himself for this young man, just as he had for me and for you. And this young man listened and just very attentively and, and uh, just so open to Christ. And before we knew it, we were just on our knees and just, just praying. And he just called out to Jesus. I mean, just... 
I mean, I, I don't know if he'd ever even really been in church in his life, to be honest, that much that he could even take and testify of. But he knew that he needed Christ, and he was confessing his sins and repenting of his sins and just crying out for the forgiveness of the Lord. And he, he gave his life on that evening to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we finished praying, I mean, I, I was just kind of stunned when I opened my eyes because people who had lingered and people who had already gone out just started gathering back in. And the entire altar of the church was just covered with people who were praying for this young man and for his salvation. Oh, it was just a glorious moment, I want to tell you. And, and he, he just became adopted by everybody in the church. I mean, everybody wanted to be their grandson or their son. I mean, you know, he just loved on him and just tried to help him. And his life was turning. I mean, God was doing great things. He played a guitar. He got involved playing with the, some of our musicians there at the church. And, I mean, it was just a joy to see what God was doing in his life. Part of what he needed to do, and he knew it, was to make things right with people that he had wronged, including his mom, his dad, his grandparents. And so he had traveled home. He lived in another state, and he had traveled home just to make things right. And uh, while he was there in this visit, he went out to a park, and there was a rock ledge that he sat on that overlooked a ravine. The ravine fell about some 40 or 50 feet. And for whatever reason, while he was sitting there, he had his guitar, he was playing, I'm sure, singing songs to Jesus, that this rock gave way and he fell down into that ravine on those rocks below and was instantly killed. Oh, man. You're talking about just ripping the heart out of people. I mean, it, you, you just, you know, how, how can you even grab, how can you put your mind around that? I mean, it, it was, just, it was just, just one of those difficult things. I mean, just to see the transformation that the Lord had done in this man's life and the salvation and how you're just seeing him vibrantly excited, serving the Lord, making things right, and just on fire for the Lord, and then this tragedy happens. We helped minister to the family and did everything we could do from a different state to love on them and to be a part of, of the services and so forth. And, and time goes on. I mean, no matter what happens, Life goes forward, you know. That's really the hard part of life, isn't it? And, and, and so quite a few months later, I was preaching on a Sunday morning. And there was a lady who was in the service. She was seated about five rows back on the very end of the aisle. And, you know, and, and Pastor can, can tell you this. I mean, you know, preachers know who's there and not there by where you sit because y'all sit the same place every Sunday. I mean, y'all are just kind of creatures of habit. You can't help it, you know. And, 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 and that person, that was not the right person in that place, you know. And so I'm looking and I'm preaching, trying to think, who is that? I mean, you know, I mean, you know your Google files are flying in your head. I'm trying to, and I just couldn't figure it out. And finally, I just said, I, I got to quit because I, I got to preach. I can't be thinking about, you know, the name of a person. And so, so I got to the end of the sermon and, um, and the, the invitation, and this lady came walking forward. It was there. And when she got right in front of me, I realized who she was. She was the mother this young man when she took my hand she said pastor she said I I want to thank the Lord and I want to thank this church for being here for my son she said I'm not angry at God I'm not mad I hurt she said because my son was again my son he, he, he became like a person <laughs> in terms of how he was living his life rather than just living his life in such evil. And she said, could you 
kneel at that place at this altar where my son gave his life to Christ. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I couldn't even talk. I, I couldn't barely move. We went over to that place, and we knelt down, and she began praying. Most beautiful prayer, just thanking the Lord, rejoicing in her son's salvation, holding on to promise that she would see him again one day when she went home to be with the Lord in heaven. What do you believe God can do? And what is God leading you? What if on that afternoon, when that young man was driving that car, and it was the Holy Spirit of God that just said, stop? What if he would have ignored that? What if he would have just kept going instead of listening and responding? What is God leading you? You see, some of you may be here today because this week God said, stop. You may be here today because there's just something that's so powerfully working in your heart. It's not of man, it is of God. It's not, it's not of anything, it is the Holy Spirit that is calling you and drawing you to that right place, that right relationship. What is God leading you to do? And then the final question is this. What hinders you from responding? What today? What hinders you from responding to the Lord? The last part of that verse is almost embarrassing. I mean, you know, I, 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 I think when Jeremiah heard it and when we hear it, we ought to just kind of drop our head in shame that the Lord would have to say, Is there anything too hard for me? I mean, no. <laughs> Lord, there's nothing to, you are the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. You're the author, the finisher, the creator. You're everything, O oh Lord. And one day you will bring everything unto final consummation by your power, by your glory, and by, by your return. Is there anything too hard for me? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Would there be anything in my life that I would think is too hard for you? Is there anything too hard for me, Jeremiah? Jeremiah, do you not think I know what's going on here? <laughs> Jeremiah, do you not believe that I'll restore my people? Is there anything too hard for me? Could you put that first picture up, please, if you don't mind? This photograph is the uh, photograph of the First Baptist Church of Port St. Joe, Florida. I know it's grainy, but, but this photograph was taken just, just a few hours after Hurricane Michael came on shore last October. You can see the lighthouse there in the kind of the right side of the picture. This church is only just a few blocks away from the Gulf of Mexico. Pastor Boyd Evans uh, is, the, is, the, is the pastor at this church, and They've been going through a, a season of revitalization within the church and people are working with them and the church is committed and God was, God's doing great things. Matter of fact, the Sunday before Hurricane Michael, Pastor Boyd told me it was probably the greatest Sunday maybe we've ever had in the history of our church. They baptized 13 people that Sunday morning. And I assure you, on Monday morning, 
Boyd Evans nor any of the other 70 pastors across that panhandle whose churches were impacted greatly got up and prayed when they watched the Weather Channel. Lord, I hope you bring Hurricane Michael and just pelt us. Bring it at us, Lord. Nobody prayed that. But yet before the end of that week, everything about their lives dramatically changed. When you look at this church, it looks like a bomb went off in it. I mean, it, 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 they're not going to even be able to repair it. They're just going to have to push this church down and start all over. Can you imagine that? Go, go to the next picture, if you don't mind. That's the inside of the church. I mean, what, what, what if we walked in here today and, and almost two-thirds of the top of this, of this building was gone and, and you're trying to figure out your church, your ministry? You see, they've got a whole different set of priorities now in the panhandle than they had before October. I mean, I, I, because, you, because of your giving to the cooperative program, disaster relief and things of that nature, we've been able as Florida Baptists to put almost $3 million into churches up there to try to get them back to a place of health because we do believe that the healing of the community is through the healing of the church. The church has to lead in that. So we're doing everything we can do to get these churches back up and operational as soon as they can. Pastor Boyd and them put up a tent, kind of an event tent, beside the church to meet in. They met in it three weeks, and another storm blew on shore and destroyed the tent. I mean, hello. And then they moved to a, an elementary school, which I've got to believe that the principal's probably thinking, I don't know if I want these people here or not. I mean, it just seems like everywhere they go, something is happening. I met with pastors up there, and all you can do is just, just cry with them, pray with them, and try to encourage them. Pastors whose own homes have been destroyed. Pastors that, that, that had just met with insurance agents, and, 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 and they, they come back to the church, and the insurance agents said, go through this rubble, and you just find what, what you can to keep, because you'll never, you'll never have this again. It's just got to be completely removed. And they come back to a church, and and this is what they're seeing, and yet they're trying to love and minister to their community in the name of Jesus Christ. And as I've met with these pastors, and I, we just had a big night up there a couple of weeks ago, we brought all the pastors and wives in and just loved on them and did, did so many things. And, and again, it's because of your generosity we're able to do these things for them. But as I've met with these pastors just going around, what they have said to me is consistent. They may not say it in exactly like I'm about to say it, but this is what they're saying, and some have said it just like this. We stood out in their parking lots, and go back to that other slide if you don't mind. We stood out in their parking lots, and that's what you see. And those pastors have pointed at those buildings, and they have said, this is not the church. We are the church. And what God is doing across that panhandle right now, I believe is going to be a beginning of revival across the entire state of Florida. Because where hurting people are found, they're looking for answers. And when the church is hurting just like everyone else, 
and yet they're standing fast and firm in their faith in Jesus Christ and loving their community in Jesus' name. There are people who are coming to faith in Christ Jesus almost every day in the past. What is God leading you to do? I mean, I believe in the local church. I'm a pastor at heart. And I understand the importance of all these things that we have. But I want to tell you, even as a pastor, it's easy to start depending upon the stuff rather than upon the Savior. And as a church, sometimes it's easier to take pride in what we have rather than who we are in Jesus Christ. Because I assure you, there are people who drive across that road every day and they're in anything in any building on this campus that impresses any of them. But what will make a difference in their life is when the church says, we are the church. And we're ministering to them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Behold, I am the Lord. Some here today who just need to be reminded of that in your life. I'm the God of all flesh. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't forfeited you. He hasn't turned away from you. I'm the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard? This morning it may be that there are things that we need to just place before the Lord in our families, in our marriages, in our businesses, in our schools, in our community. Lord, we want this verse to be the verse that arches over our faith our trust, our belief, and my commitment to you. So in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, time to respond. Musicians will come and just play and share. We sing together. And it may be that there's someone here today because in some way, God spoke to you and said, Stop. He's got your attention. He, he, he's got your attention. And, and, and you're dealing with that issue even now within your heart. To some, it is that very commitment of salvation in Jesus Christ. And you know today that you need to come and trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, just as that young man did on that Sunday night. To others here today, it may be that they're just things that God's saying, speaking into your heart. You're not where you ought to be spiritually. and He's calling you to right fellowship today to repent and to trust Him. It may be that you're going through the, the darkest, deepest valley you've ever faced. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh.
anything too hard for him. You may be soaring on the highest mountain today. You may think everything in my life couldn't be any better. that's That's a scary place to be. Because what I've found in life is that every time we go up, we're going to come down. Are you ready for what's on the other side of that? Only by faith and trust in the Lord can you be. Maybe you just want to come and kneel at the altar today. Just commit whatever that is that you're struggling with, whatever that is that God's leading you to. Maybe you want to come speak to pastor. I just want to pray with you, pray for you. We'd be honored to do that. need to come today giving your life to Christ. Come today. Need to come uniting with this church fellowship. Come today. We need each other in Christ Jesus. And He is able. He is able in everything, in anything. There is nothing that's too hard for Him. Heavenly Father, we pray now for these next moments just as we allow Your Spirit to lead us, to guide us.